Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Barsh, and I'm so glad that you've tuned in today. Uh, there's been so much conversation uh, going on in the culture about what's right, what's wrong. I was looking at a video Dennis Prager's organization put out earlier today, and with regard to Israel and Hamas and and think you know, the, the right and wrong aspect of life. In this hour, we're going to take a look at the right and wrong and aspects of life, but we're going to do it from a little fresh perspective. Um, coming up in the second half hour or the second hour of today's Bottom Line Show, of course, it is the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Uh, it's Bob Duco, John Rush, and yours truly. And I sound really kind of throaty and deep voice because I just woke up with a cold yesterday. Uh, so, and, you know, we record this thing 7.30 a.m. Pacific time. So <laughs> I'm the guy who always has to get up and make sure the coffee's going. But we talked about, we, we it was kind of cool because we recorded it yesterday at, like I said, 7.30 Pacific time. And it was right after we had the news of the bombing of the hospital and, you know, trying to make sense of who did what, who's responsible for what. And it was interesting to see as the day wore on how a lot of the summaries that we were able to draw on the bottom line around the National Guard Roundtable podcast actually turned out to be true. And I and I don't say that to say, dig us, we're always right. But I, I hope that as you listen to any of the Crawford talk show hosts, that you would be able to find truth is our primary objective. We want to get to the heart of the story, even when it's not pretty for, quote unquote, our side. And uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the the research that we did, instead of just saying, well, Israel would never do this, it was, well, based on historical evidence, based on military might, based on you know strategic alliances, whatever it is, we can determine that this was probably more of either a Hamas-inflicted, you know, self-inflicted wound, which they do on occasion. They have no trouble blowing up their own people. Or um, it may have been, quite frankly, just rocket fire, where they launched at one target and wound up hitting another one. I mean, and and we don't know, too. I mean, oftentimes we think this is like a big giant game of battleship, you know, where you say G8, and oh, you hit my... It's it's not like that. I mean, the intelligence that goes on, all the the the, the, the droning and um, the, 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 the cyber warfare that's going on with these rockets being launched, uh, people wonder how is it like when the United States was doing battle in uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and, you know, the question was, how is it that, you know, we're hitting hospitals, we're hitting schools, we're hurting all these innocent people? Well, you take a look at two things that were there. First and foremost, you're dealing with a terrorist group and a terrorist group like Hamas uh, that, that would have no trouble wounding, if not killing, you know, raping. That's what they do. I mean, they're terrorists, right? They, they, it's all about power. And we're going to show that we're stronger than you. What was it, Iran, uh, you know, getting all their nose out of joint over the fact that uh, President Biden was in Israel yesterday and said, look, there's no way that Israel did this. I mean, this is, it's very clear that, as he put it, the other team did this. And, and, and then they announced they had the joint press conference and they announced uh, the $100 million of aid to people in Gaza with lots of strings attached. The money is going through and the, and the resourcing all going through Egypt. It's all going to civilians. If anyone from Hamas interrupts it, they'll stop it. Um, you know, that, that the, the idea, but you know, the headline just says U.S. gives $100 million to Palestinians and some people lose their lunch. But you have the one component of the fact that they will use children as human shields. They will take over hospitals and schools and school buses and public restaurants and whatever else they can do so that when the attack comes, this is the second part. The second part of the issue is that they, you're talking about these kind of, uh, you know, the intelligence is so good that you can seek out, you know, using computers and radars and satellites and things like that, you can seek out the hotspots where you anticipate that the enemy is. That seeking out part, the way I understand it, does not take into consideration exactly where those people are, as in, did the terrorists go into a hospital knowing that they could set up shop there, knowing that the patients can't get out of there, and knowing that there, if there is any attack, then they can claim the, look, the Israelis blew up a hospital thing. Not, look, the Israelis were going after their target who had taken over the hospital or taken over the school or was mounted the school bus. You know, it, it's just, it's so hard for our brains to think like that. It's taken 15, 20 years of just reading these stories and following them to understand that. And it, it was so interesting because watching this video I was referring to earlier 
uh, Dennis Prager put out a thing about why the left has such a hard time with a strong Israel and a strong United States. And he played a clip from Trevor Noah, who used to be the host of uh, the show, The Daily Show on Comedy Central. And I've seen Trevor Noah do this before. He could be a very clever guy, very engaging guy, South African, looks like he may be biracial. He's got a, a widespread appeal to a lot of different people. But he is so convincing in his monologues that he can tell you one side of the story, completely ignoring the other side, and people believe it. Uh, he did this when, uh, when Trump was in office. Uh, this was in uh, early 2020. So I'm doing a monologue one night where some, one of the <laughs> problems that Trump was dealing with, I don't remember what it was, but all he did was give the opposite side, which made it look like Donald Trump was wrong. And I thought, well, if you're gonna have a fair conversation, any good attorney would tell you, you have to know every aspect of the case so you don't get blindsided on whether you're a prosecution or defense. But also, I mean, you just have to, we have to think the whole thing through. As Christians, we don't get to sit there and just say, well, my pastor says this, so therefore it's that, or I think the Bible says this. We have to do our due diligence to find out what's going on here. And as you look at the Middle Eastern conflict that we're experiencing right now, I mean, it's just got biblical stuff written all over it. I mean, the idea that you might be searching your history books saying, people keep talking about the Palestinians and this is their homeland. And why is it that we've never read about a Palestine before? I've got William Barclay's commentary, great English theologian from the 40s or whatever. And he makes reference. He goes, oh, in Palestine, do this. In Palestine, they do that. And I'm looking on the map going, I don't see Palestine. What, what are you guys talking about? And <laughs> do a little history little homework and you find out that Palestine is actually Judah in scripture and it was during the Roman Empire times when the Christian church was having a huge influence on Rome that Rome took you know Israel's Israel and it was kind of fading away <laughs> like Jack Hibbs was saying the other day on was a Tuesday night on uh, real radio he's saying this is kind of exciting because up until 1948 the church as we know it and Judaism I mean, the, the Jews, the people of Israel, didn't exist at the same time on the planet. I mean, right around the birth of Christianity was when Israel kind of got run away. Uh, and, and it was the Romans who started referring to Judah as Palestine. So you had this Palestinian, they, we got thousands of years of history. Well, no, I mean, there was, there's not been a country, a nation, if you will, of Palestine uh, up until, what was it, middle of January, 1988 when they figured they better get something on paper, you know, and by the time they demanded to have, you know, their spot of what we now refer to as Gaza, finally it was Prime Minister Ariel Sharon in 2005, who said, fine, we'll go ahead and cede this land. And then what do they do? They elect Hamas, which is a radical offshoot of the Palestine Liberation Organization, who they felt that this, just to give you everything you need to know, if you remember the PLO, and most of us only remember the PLO because of the Patty Hearst kidnappings. But if you remember the PLO, and how radicalized they were, Hamas is an offshoot of the PLO from the late 1970s, early 1980s, that deemed that the PLO was not radical enough. There's some memes going around on social media saying, did you know that Israel created Hamas? No, they didn't. Hamas may have been formed in what is now Israel, but they are, they, no, there's no, it's not like the Israeli government says, you guys go form your own terror cell and then attack us. That doesn't make any sense. So the president went out and went to Israel yesterday and he met with Prime Minister Netanyahu and he announced, you know, he did all the right things, shook all the right hands, posed for all the right pictures. He read his prepared remarks in the spot of the, uh, the conversation that was supposed to be a little more spontaneous, as it were. Uh, and <laughs> Prime Minister Netanyahu looked a little perplexed uh, watching him do that. But then there was the military aid for, you know, basically condemning the attack, absolving Israel of any responsibility for them, and then, you know, saying there's $100 million in aid for Palestinians. So, I mean, he did what he did. All the Arab countries said, well, we were going to meet with you and now we're not. You'd expect them to do that too. By the way, I should point, I want to point this out. The Legacy Center in San Diego is where there's going to be a special night of prayer for Israel tonight. Jim Garlow posted this on his Facebook page. Um, San Diego Night of Prayer for Israel tonight, October 19th, 7 to 8 p.m. Legacy Center, which is at 875 Hotel Circle South in San Diego. We'll put this banner up at thebottomlineshow.com, and you can see. And for our Bottom Line Show listeners in San Diego, there are a lot of cities all over the country. Uh, you know, there are nations that are praying for Israel right now. And, you know, when we're praying for Israel, we are praying for the people who are in Israel, knowing that there are Palestinians who are... Uh, there's the terrorist fa faction 
of the Palestinian group, like the PLO, Palestine Liberation Organization. And then there's Hamas and there's Hezbollah. And that's a, that's more of a uh, Lebanese thing, from what I understand. But then there are people of the Christian faith who I you know are from the Palestinian contingent who don't really have a place to land. And Israel was kind of their place to land, uh, where Christians, Muslims, and Jews kind of coexist. And, well, now they're kind of wandering around not knowing quite what to do. Um, do your due diligence. Find as many different sources as you possibly can to get the information about the numbers. Don't just take the progressive model that says, but the, the whole context of the Prager video was that the reason why the world hates Israel is because Israel is strong. And they see a strength like that as bad, as evil. The left, progressives, prize weakness, which is why they're always the quote-unquote champion for the underdog. But what they don't realize is progressive ideology says we have to destroy everything to make sure that, you know, that, that we're being heard. Um, Jason Jimenez has written a book on how progressive Christians are weakening the church's impact. If you've noticed over the past 20, 25 years, the church has less impact in the culture right now. He writes about this in a brand new book called Hijacking Jesus, how progressive Christians are remaking him and taking over his church. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and hot on the heels of our massive turnout for the books that we gave away yesterday, the Charles Stanley book and the Kaylee Zapanta ebook. Um, we've, Crystal's finally had a good night's sleep and she's ready to come in and start answering the phones again today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Jason Jimenez and I will talk about progressive Christianity coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. There's been an interesting development happening in the body of Christ, and it's fascinating to watch because oftentimes we'll look at the culture and say, boy, the culture is just going to hell in a handbag, and what do we as, as the church do? We really need to spend more time in prayer and, and reaching out with the gospel. But there's something happening within the walls of the church that literally is a kind of a hostile takeover, if you will. And joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about a brand new book on this subject is Jason Jimenez. Uh, Jason uh, founder of Stand Strong Ministries. He's a faculty member at Summit Ministries, a pastor, apologist, and national speaker. He's been ministering to families for over 20 years, and he has a brand new book out that looks at this cultural phenomenon of how liberal Christianity has been replaced by progressive Christianity. And what does that exactly mean? The book is called Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church. And we have a link for the book up at the bottom line. Jason Jimenez. To the bottom line show. Thank you, Roger. Blessed to be with you. Blessed to have you because uh, you and I were talking before we, uh, you know, began our conversation here about the fact that I think a lot of people, when you hear progressive and you hear liberal, they kind of think they're the same thing. But as you identify in this book, Hijacking Jesus, there is definitely a progressive movement that has found its way into the church and is not just saying, okay, well, we can agree uh, that, that you guys use wine for communion and we use grape juice. But rather, I mean, it, this is different level when it comes to progressive Christianity. How would you, can you kind of give us maybe a thumbnail overview sketch of what progressive Christianity looks like? Yeah, and I appreciate that, Roger, because I do think that what I attempted to do, and again, this is years of talking to people who've actually either, you know, deconstructed from their faith, you hear these terms, or they deconverted from the Christian faith, or people who become more progressive in their understanding of maybe marriage, or one's gender, or 
social justice is an initiative that's you know, breaded and attached to the gospel or something like that, right? Um, and just saying, well, what do you what do you mean by the term progressive? That's before the word Christian, right? Is this like a two point version? Is this like a much mm-hmm. improved modern version of Christianity? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, is, it, is it different than the than the Jesus that we actually see in the canonical Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And and yeah, I mean, the short end of the of, you know the question you asked, you know, to respond to it is like, yeah, it's a different Jesus. And what progressive Christianity, the umbrella or the movement or the ideology. Um, there is this active movement based on a belief system that Jesus Christ is not God. Mm. Uh, progressive Christianity does not believe in original sin. Most of the people who house themselves under progressive Christianity do not believe that Adam and Eve even existed. Mm. When it comes to the virgin birth, when it comes to miracles, when it comes to the purpose of why Jesus died on the cross, they do not believe that he died to atone for our sins. They do not believe that he was a a substitute, if you will, for mankind's sins. They do not believe in a literal, physical resurrection. Matter of fact, they believe that Jesus' resurrection was a metaphorical, spiritual analogy or symbolism of newness of life when you reduce your uh, oppressive behaviors, you know, when you do kindness to other people, when you give of yourself, you know, that's like a resurrection. And so that's how most progressive Christians under the umbrella of progressive Christianity believe. And finally, Progressive Christianity denies Jesus Christ will return physically and literally one day. Hmm. And so these people may call themselves a Christian, um, but in actuality, um, I call them metaphorical Christians, because at the heart of their belief system, they deny that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. They do not believe it's a final authority. They believe that more or less Jesus was a man who manifested goodness and kindness, that he was trying to reform Judaism— um, in some areas he failed, in some areas he did, he did well, um, but at the heart of it, Jesus was a liberator, but he was not the Savior of the world. So in essence, that's progressive Christianity, and I want to just finally say this, if I may, Roger, yeah. not all progressive Christians believe uh, in what I just said about progressive Christianity. That's the one thing about when you have conversations, and I've had many, young and old, who would call themselves a progressive Christian, um, not all of them agree. Okay, um, and that's what happens when you're dealing with postmodern thinking, right? Yeah. Is that to them, truth is ever changing, and so they all have different aspects or different uh, belief systems, even though they don't like the term beliefs. They try to, you know, brush that aside. They like pathways or, you know, experiences, right? So they don't like to be bogged down by doctrine. They think that doctrine is not good. Um, and so even though that's not true, right, because right. our behavior is based on what we believe. And so, <laughs> of course. you know, so you, you'll have different conversations with progressive Christians. But at the heart of what I say progressive Christianity is, it's the denial, ultimately, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. This is an incredible thesis that uh, Jason Jimenez, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, is, is unpacking for us. His book is called Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. So many different places we could launch into this conversation, Jason. I want to start, start with, though, the infallibility of Scripture, because it seems to me that if you don't have that as a basis, then you can pretty much interpret the Bible any way you want to, to make it kind of kowtow to your own demands. Is the essence of progressive Christianity kind of like the essence of progressive uh, politics, for example, you know, where progressives believe you can never progress too far, you know, keep going as far left as you can, where my logical brain says, well, if if, <laughs> if you look at the planet Earth, if you keep going left too far, eventually you're going to wind up in the fundamentalist right side of the equation. But when, when it comes to the infallibility of Scripture, talk about how the progressive move, movement will really deceive the church by picking and choosing, you know, by saying, okay, this teaching of Jesus we like, this saying of Jesus, well, that's out of date. Yeah, I mean, that's actually very true. And so what I do in the first part of the book is a section I call the conspiratorial, right, uh, movement to, to hijack Jesus. And what you have to do is you have to look at the Bible and you have to discredit it, right? Uh, if you can prove... Uh, as many progressive uh, Jesus scholars have attempted to do, I mean, this goes back to, you know, a lot of your listeners are aware of, like, the Enlightenment era uh, era back in the 1600s, mm-hmm. the rationalism. You know, when you get into, we were saying earlier about liberal Protest- uh, Protestantism, 
to the liberation gospel, you know, to now the gay gospel kind of stuff. Like, you see this evolution, right, mm-hmm. that has impacted culture, you know, during this period of time. But one thing they had all in common is that they all denied the Bible to be infallible. So the point being is you can even trace, trace this back to a guy named Richard Simon, and he's known as a father of biblical modern criticism. You're like, well, what on earth is that? Well, what that means is that he was the first real main guy in the academic space that was taking a well-respected uh, book of antiquity known as the mm-hmm. Bible, the Holy Bible, and he was separating it from history and the spiritual significance that it's had. And what he started to do is he started to say, you know, in actual fact, you know, obviously we get good guidance, you know, spiritually from the Bible, but we can't really trust it. And there's mm-hmm. errors in there. And of course, this idea of, of people performing miracles, well, we clearly know based on many people like Bertrand Russell and, uh, well, he wasn't existent since before then, but like he's looking at people like David Hume. And then later, Bertrand Russell picked up on this in the 20th century, but they're saying miracles are a violation of the laws of physics. And so the Bible's filled with miracles. This is right. a supernatural book, but we know that uh, supernatural things do not exist because there's not a greater being that exists outside of the universe. And right. so they deny the Bible on that account as well. And they begin to take a series of butchering all of these claims of the Bible saying this happened, this miracles performed, this healing, etc. demons and they sort of toss it out and say, this is folklore, this has, you know, copycat, you know, religion marked all over it. And he started to d- discredit the Bible, or what we would say is they started to de-supernaturalize the Bible, meaning strip it of its divinity. And as you do that, when you come upon then people like Jesus, and he makes these claims of being God and performing miracles from the writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they said, well, of course we know that's all made up. Right. They were just trying right. to make Jesus into this super character that he really wasn't. And so we don't take this literally, we take it metaphorically. And so that was the attempt. And so, yes, if you do that, if you can discredit the source of where we get this information from primarily, then of course then Jesus then could become anything you want him to be. And that's the attempt of what progressive Christians have done uh, for several years now, and that's why I refer to it as a hijacking, because they rewrite the storyline of Jesus and Christianity based on how they falsely interpret and discredit the Bible. Hmm. And and it is left to us as the true believers to be able to discern between the truth and the error and then lovingly confront. And that's not always easy to do in a culture where it seems like fundamental Christianity is, seemed, uh, is perceived to be an anathema. Jason Jimenez with Stand Strong Ministries is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. This book is fascinating. It's called Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, Jason Jimenez is my guest, and we're talking about his book called Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three copies of the book to give away. 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you want a working definition of what a woke Christian or a progressive Christian really looks like, Jason has identified six different areas where we as Bible-believing Christians are fully okay with this concept. And those who are progressive would beg to differ. Number one, that Jesus was born of a virgin. That makes the left's mind just, their heads explode. There's no way. It's physically impossible. These are some of the same people who say men can pretend to be women and get pregnant but Jesus was not born of a virgin. Okay. Number two. Now, this one's a little tougher. I understand why it can be a challenge for some people if you are not walking with the Lord. They have a tough time understanding that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, that he was human and divine. That's tricky, and that takes a little bit more splaining. Might take a little more time for on our part for the Holy Spirit to reveal to the unbeliever, that part of who he is. Number three, that Jesus worked astonishing miracles. Many progressive Christians believe that Jesus was a great man, that he was a good teacher, he was all lovey-dovey and kind with the culture, but he didn't do anything miraculous. Number four, 
that progressive Christians have a very difficult time with what they call penal substitution, or that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sin. It's a very subtle difference, but a lot of folks in the progressive crowd are totally fine with the idea of Jesus dying for sin in the world, but not that it is basically for our benefit, that each of us has a sin ledger, and that when we stand before God on Judgment Day, either we're going to have the book thrown at us, and it'll be a massive book of all of the sins that we've committed, or God's going to look into our face, see Jesus instead, mark the book paid in full, and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. The fifth part is pretty easy for a progressive Christian to avoid the argument. They'll come up with lots of academic reasons why they believe Jesus did not come rise from the dead. And then the sixth tenet of progressive Christianity is they don't believe that Jesus Christ will come again. Now remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection either. So, you know, there you go. But these principles are shaping and molding churches all over the country in subtle ways. If any one of those is present in your congregation, you are worshiping at a progressive church. And Jesus has been hijacked. But we're going to continue our conversation on how to rescue him from said hijacking. Uh, Jason Jimenez is with me. We're going to continue our conversation about his book, Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Making Him, uh, Remaking Him, rather, and Taking Over His Church. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. When you were in an accident, Stephanie Cover of Cover Law is the only personal injury attorney you need. Stephanie talks to victims all the time who wish they would have signed with her first. Unfortunately, once you've signed a retainer with a different attorney, Stephanie can't represent you. So it's crucial to have Stephanie's number handy now and make the smart call the first time. Stephanie is the right attorney to represent your personal injury claim, specifically because she worked for insurance companies for 20 years, so she knows the best questions to ask and when. Stephanie knows when things don't sound accurate, and she knows when she's being deceived. Stephanie is a Christian, and telling the truth is vital, so she holds professionals to that standard, too. Stephanie's unique blend of skill, expertise, and compassion get you real results. Bookmark Stephanie's website now so you don't have regrets, and pass it on to your friends and relatives who will need it. Just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today to set up a free consultation. That's kbrightradio.com slash c-o-v-e-r. Jason Jimenez is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. And man, if you have not picked up a copy of his book, Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church, you owe it to yourself to do so. It's linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Nothing but five-star ratings. And that I would imagine, Jason, that right now, the positive feedback is from Christians who are reading it saying, wow, thanks for opening my eyes. I, I would imagine you're not getting five stars from progressive Christians who are saying, hey, wait, you're, <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, what are these six fillers here? I mean, this is, I, I, did, I didn't realize that. And, and to be fair, I, I wonder how many people who are progressive Christians don't realize that when you have a Jesus that has no divinity, didn't perform miracles, did not resurrect from the dead, there was no virgin birth, there's no atonement, no second coming, basically you're left with what? I mean, and how many progressives do you know or have you encountered even realize that? I'm sure it's a real eye-opener for them. Yeah, and so what, to your point, Roger, what I thought was very important, and this hadn't really been done in the way in which we approached it with my team, and that is talking to a lot of progressives, like I was telling you in the last segment, again, with a postmodern thinking that your truth is your truth and it's ever-changing, and, and if you combine all of our experiences together – and we surrender, you know, our pride and our arrogance and our oppressive behaviors, then we will pursue unification, right? It's kind of like this mystical underlining that comes with it, okay? Mm -hmm. That you'll kind of get this consensus with a lot of the progressives. So they kind of make up their own spirituality as they go along, right? Mm. And again, because they believe that's right for them. And, and again, I respect that as an individual, that they're trying to pursue a form of truth, like in air quotes, and so you want to kind of reason with them and understand, you know, again, their background, uh, what they're passionate about, why they believe what it is that they believe. Mm -hmm. And so inevitably, when you have these conversations, and I wanted to be respectful in the book when I got into my third part, because what I found is if I was really talking to a progressive Jesus scholar, by far, the view of Jesus to them, remember, they stripped him of his divinity and his authority as, as fully God, fully man. Um, they don't believe in, again, the resurrection. It's metaphorical. Therefore, Jesus is never going to return. They don't believe in the second coming of Jesus. 
when you when you deny all that and you're and you have your 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 you know your explanation as to how you can spiritualize the text right and believe the bible to be anti-supernatural inevitably you're going to have a, a view or a reinvention of jesus and the progressive Jesus scholars ultimately believe him to be an insurrectionist. He was a revolutionist mm. individual, right? Maybe he was mm-hmm. he was a social reformer. You know, he was, he was trying to remove a lot of the rigidity in, in Judaism. So a lot of these progressive Jesus scholars believe that through their academic work, they're trying to do that for Christianity to kind of save Christianity. Many of them have written books called Why Christianity Must Die, Change mm. or Die. I mean, classic books like this, right? Um, you know, Brian McLaren, you know, saying yeah. it's up to each generation to be born again to advance their own new Christianity. Like it's it's in our makeup, in our DNA, and also our right, um, selfishly, if you will, individualistically, to make up our own version of what we believe Christianity is. Hmm. Well, that's not always the case, though, when you're talking to the progressive. Uh, obviously, a lot of these famous up-and-coming progressive pastors, you know, the podcast guys, YouTube, TikTok people— it's been very sensational, but you see this wokeness. So Jesus is a woke teacher. Jesus is very inclusive, and it's basically a bobblehead version where this Jesus just agrees and embraces every lifestyle, every choice, every decision, right? And that's mm-hmm. true love, according to them. So there's a there's another reinvention of Jesus that's maybe less than what you see in the university level. And then the other one is people who say, no, we got to go you know, true to the roots of Jesus and go back to his Judaism because that's who Jesus really was. And we're like, well, yeah, Jesus was a Jew, but then they make him into a Jewish mystic. Like mm. he was some kind of uh, sage where he was tapped into this absolute consciousness of the universe. Like his vibrations, the way he lived, he was in tune with the oneness of the universe. Mm. Right? He was becoming one with the universe, and the universe was one with him. And so then that's how they extrapolate you know, the parables of Jesus, and they make him, you know, be teaching these, you know, apocalyptic teachings about the end times, not in the way that we as biblical Christians interpret it with the coming days and the evil that's going to come, but talking about the the oppressive behavior within us, that we have to strip, you know, uh, our ego from being selfish. And that's how they'll interpret the teachings of Jesus. And so I wanted to be respectful to the progressive friends of mine and people out there and not just say, oh, this is their version of Jesus, when in fact it's just multiple. But those are the three primary false portrayals of Jesus that ultimately come out of progressive Christianity that is being disseminated in our culture today. Now, the last thing I'd say, Roger, and I want your audience to understand this, because this is alarming. Mm -hmm. If you take the Jewish mystic version, the woke teacher version, and Jesus as a socialist or revolutionist, when you take those false portrayals, and there, of course there's others, but these are the three prominent ones, that is now the majority view in America today. So hmm. our view, that when we take the Bible literally, and we believe Jesus is the Son of God, he's the Messiah, he came into this world and took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for sins, and rose again physically, literally. That is the minority view in America today. You know, I'm talking with Jason Jimenez today here on The Bottom Line, Standing Strong Ministries and the brand new book called Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church. Uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I've I just uh, got chills thinking about what you described as the three different, uh, the, the, the real trinity of progressive Christianity with regard to uh, the six different, you know, tenets of their faith, if you will. And that has become the majority view. It really is incumbent upon us, Jason, it sounds like, to be more biblical in the way we present our faith in Christ and not, I I, I, I don't know how to say it, I'll I'll just say it this way. We become kind of insistent Americans that, you know, well, we all know who God is. And you've just described us in 15 minutes how little A, progressives understand about Jesus, but B, how little we as biblical Christians really understand about what's happened to Christianity in the Western part of the world. Uh, take some time here, if you would, and help us to understand some of the ways that you'll, what are the more common arguments that you've gotten from progressives and how do you diffuse them? I mean, what's in the book that will help us in that regard? Yeah, well, that's I, I obviously to your point. That's why I wrote the book is not only to help biblical Christians to be informed of how this conspiracy to hijack Jesus originated. And I believe the heart of it is demonic. This is being led by Satan you know, to, again, devise these, these falsehoods, these, these, these this deceptive, they're known as doctrine of demons, right, to go out there and deceive. We're no Satan, and Jesus referred to him as the great deceiver or the father of lies. 
And there's a lot of false teachers, again, who are falsely portraying Jesus. Jesus even warned us in the Olivet Discourse, Roger, as you know, in Matthew 24, verses 7 and 8, that one of the signs of his come before he returns is there could be a lot of people who are saying they're Jesus, or a lot of false messiahs, a lot of false teachers. Second Peter chapter 2, uh, in, the, in the opening verse there in that chapter, Peter even warned in his second letter to the church as they are being persecuted, that there are people who are among us who are bringing in destructive heresy. And so I challenge the reader to see that this new theology that's on the block that has rein, reinvented the image of Jesus to be something that is false, um, and stripping him of his divinity, right, and denying his resurrection and that he's the way, the truth, and the life. My prayer and the purpose of writing the book is to help encourage people who love Jesus and not only want to live out their faith, but to preserve it for the generations mm. to come. That mm. is what we've been tasked to do. That's a, 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 a very deeply Hebraic method that we go back into the pages of the Torah, that, that Christianity birthed from the fulfillment of, of our Savior Jesus, who was a Jew who fulfilled the Jewish scriptures. So that is incumbent upon us. And so I wrote the book to help people do that. So if they're, if they're struggling, if they're having these debates, they're having this dialogue, if they're watching something and something's not that's sitting right with them and they know something's off, I pray that they would get hijacking Jesus because we spent all this energy to help people work through not just the confusion, but to know how to respond respectfully, but intelligently yes. what the Bible actually teaches. And so that's why I wrote, and last thing I'd say, too, this is so important because I use this as a parallel. When you and I look back at the tragedy of 9-11 because of the, the hijackers, I'm not saying that progressive Christians are terrorists. I'm not saying that. I do believe they're terrorizing the Word of God and people, um, and they think that we are using scare tactics with, like, talking about hell, because a lot of them deny hell. Mm -hmm. So, I, again, this, I, I respectfully disagree with them, but when you do look at 9-11, one of the reasons why we, we found ourselves in this, in, this, in this climate is because of the laxity of security at the airports. Right. Now, I'm not saying that the aviation industry has you know, done a superb job in keeping us safe, but we haven't had something like that happen since, and so we're thankful for that. But what we had to do is we had to set aside convenience, and we had to get back to what mattered the most, and that's to, that to save lives, to protect lives. I think the Church, and I take responsibility of this as well, is that we have to search the Scriptures daily like the Bereans, and we have to defend the faith. We can't be lax. We can't just succumb to apathy. We can't just live in a little bubble. We have to proactively be discerning about the dangers that are around us. And when we do see people who are pretending to be Christian, to be among us, who are teaching things that are false, that do not align themselves with the Holy Word of God— we have to do something about it. Now, I'm not saying that you yell at the person, you argue them or shame them. What I'm saying is we have to stand up. Yeah. We have to stand yeah. up to these things and speak the truth and love. Yeah, at least call them out. I mean, I think that's half the battle here is you, you might hear something that doesn't sound right. And instead of saying, oh, gee, that's kind of a different way of looking at it. Get back in scripture, take a look at what it is, and then lovingly come alongside that person and say, hey, you know what? This is the way you're reading it. This is the way I see it. Um, let's let's reason together. And and I, I think we would be amazed at, A, how many progressives there are that we know that we just don't realize they're progressive, and B, um, how going to all the world and preach the gospel may mean just go to church on Sunday and preach the gospel to mm -hmm. some of the people there who are yeah, getting some crazy ideas true. that's going on. Jason, what are, what's happening with Standing Strong Ministries as we wrap things up here. Talk about how we can find you online and, and what you you and your family are up to these days. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, Roger. Thank you for the time and your ministry and for the people listening. I pray this has encouraged them. You know, our prayer is, again, that people would not just be equipped to know what the truth is, but they'd be emboldened with great conviction to reinforce biblical truth in our culture. And that's what Stand Strong Ministry does. We exist. We come alongside churches. Uh, we go into schools. I mean, we do chapels to equip people in, in, in the faith. We deal with a lot of these things. We do a lot of Q&As when people have questions on doubt or they're skeptics or, you know, they're struggling in their, in their gender or their sexuality. You know, we try to bring, bring and reinforce biblical truth. And so been married for, gosh, 22 years with four kids. I got two in college, one in high school, Love one it. in middle school. So obviously wow. just, I mean, kids are just, they're doing great. They're all living uh, their faith out. So I'm, I'm a proud pop for that, you know, and, and investing in them and in, in the next generation. But yeah, now what we're doing is again, using hijacking Jesus. I, by the way, I got another book coming out with focus on a family called parenting Gen Z. So any of your listeners who want to get a great 
biblical worldview take on parenting and what our job is to do to equip and arm our kids to be readily defending the faith in the culture today. Um, I encourage people to get Parenting Gen Z, so we do a lot of training for parents as well. All right. Well, we'll put links for both of them up at thebottomlineshow.com. Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church is the new book by Jason Jimenez. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jason, always a pleasure. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Lord bless you. Thank you, Roger. Always great to have Jason Jimenez with us here on the program, and he's going to join us again very soon to talk about his book about reaching Gen Z. But for now, uh, the book Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three copies of this outstanding book to give away. Would you like one? Give us a call, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, if you're kind of sick to death of the woke conversation in our culture, you definitely want to look at Jason Jimenez's book called Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then, what did God say a few verses later? Let us make mankind in our image, male and female, he created them. Now that's something that makes perfect sense to us as believers. But what if I told you that there's a panel of experts in the academic world who have such a hard time believing that concept that they actually wound up canceling part of a conference about it. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Jason Jimenez for joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about his brand new book called Hijacking Jesus, How Progressive Christians Are Remaking Him and Taking Over His Church. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, interesting, this next story, I sound like I'm English. Interesting, this next story, um, involving the Anthropological Association and the Canadian Anthropological Society. They have a conference coming up next month, November 19th, or excuse me, November 15th through the 19th. And they had formed, for one of their breakout sessions, they'd formed a panel. The panel featured a number of women who were all scientists, who are all going to discuss about, uh, going to talk about anthropology. Catherine, Kathleen Lowry, Associate Professor at the University of Alberta in Canada, was the organizer. The panel was featured Elizabeth Weiss, San Jose State University, Sylvia Carrasco of the Autonomous University of Barcelona, Kathleen Richardson of the United Kingdom's de Mont- Montfort University, and Michelle Sirios, the president of the women's rights group called Poor de la Droits de Femmes de Quebec. Another panelist, lest you think that this is all a bunch of lefties, uh, Carol Hooven, who is a senior fellow at the uh, American Enterprise Institute, which is a conservative think tank, was scheduled as a speaker for the session, but Carol dropped out. Now, here's why this confab, if you will, was actually canceled. Let's get the skinny straight from the uh, source of the confusion here. Jeff Martin, Director of Communications and Public Affairs for AAA, the Anthropological Association of Alberta, apparently, uh, said that they decided to scrap the session because, well, um, (laughs) uh, the meeting has 30 sessions related to sex and gender that are deemed acceptable that'll be taking place in various formats. But the abstract for this topic that I'm about to share with you was deemed to be unacceptable. Are you ready? The topic of conversation was called, or was to have been called, let's talk about sex, baby. Now, I (laughs) could get that any more Anglo if I wanted to. There was a popular song back in the late 80s, early 90s, and it was called, let's talk about sex, baby. So it's a play on that title. Um, We're Christians. We can talk about sex because God created sex. He created it for the institution of marriage. 
He thinks it's good when a husband and wife get together and enjoy intimacy. So we could talk about sex. But then there's the issue of, well, what sex are you talking about? Are you talking about consensual uh, physical intimacy? Or are you talking about the sex of the baby, also known as gender? Well, here's the subtitle of the talk, and you tell me if you think it's controversial. Let's talk about sex, baby. Why biological sex remains a necessary analytic category in anthropology. Did you catch that? Female scholars were going to get together and discuss the issue of biological sex and why it remains a necessary analytic category in anthropology. So you're studying all about people, anthropology, and you're studying the differences in people and basically the anthropological, anthropological association at the Canadian Anthropology Society announced that they were going to remove this session from their annual conference. And the reason that they did, are you, you know why, I'm just going to have to make it official. They will no longer be leading this panel at the Anthropological Conference next month, tackling the topic of explaining why biological sex remains necessary for scientific analysis. And they did so due to, and I'm quoting them here, due to concerns that the discussion could be harmful to the LGBT community. Now, this is a scientific convention. The discussion is anthropological in nature. Why would the Canadian Anthropology Society cancel one of the exhibits that they had that was basically looking at why biological sex remains a necessary analytic category in anthropology? According to Jeff Martin, Director of Communications and Public Affairs for AAA, he said that the 30 other sessions related to sex and gender are acceptable and they will be taking place in various formats, including roundtables and poster presentations. Quote, basically, we feel the abstract submitted was intentionally misleading and disingenuously pushing a political agenda that would harm not only individuals, but the field itself as it attempts to redirect the evidence-based science our discipline has put forward on sex and gender. A letter dated September 29. Uh, in support of the decision to withdraw the session, was signed by scholars at Princeton University, the University of Illinois, and Arizona State University. This says that panelists' abstract asserted that sex, quote, is a biological binary. They contend that human sex and gender categories are not binary and can even, quote-unquote, shift. And they are, quote-unquote, always affected by the cultural beliefs of the time. This is the Canadian Anthropology Society along with the Anthropology Society of Alberta, Canada, telling people who want to come to this anthropological gathering that they are not going to allow for a session that looks at why the gender of a baby should be a constant analytic. And the reason they say is they do not contend that human sex and gender categories are not, or they contend that they're not binary, that they are always affected by the cultural beliefs of the time and that they have the capacity to shift. Is this harmful and misleading to schedule the conference conversation or is it more harmful and misleading to cancel it. We're going to take a look at some of the justification given for doing so coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 
833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. It all counts towards saving babies' lives. KBrightRadio.com. Hit the preborn banner right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Another uh, conference has become a casualty of the LGBTQ uh, police, and that is the Anthropological Association and Canadian Anthropology Society. Uh, There will be one fewer session at their annual conference, which takes place next month, November 15th through the 19th. The panel that scratched, by the way, featured all women, women scientists, as part of the lineup. The session itself is called Let's Talk About Sex, Baby, Why Biological Sex Remains a Necessary Analytic Category in Anthropology. The director of communications for the affair said, basically, we feel the abstract was submitted was intentionally misleading and disingenuously pushing a political agenda that would harm not only individuals, but the field itself as it attempts to redirect the evidence-based science our discipline has put forward on sex and gender. Why do they need to redirect the evidence-based science? Doesn't the science basically settle itself until it doesn't? Since the creation of mankind, there have been two genders. There have been people who have uh, sexual tendencies and proclivities to be with a member of the same sex in a conjugal relationship. That's not considered normal, but it's considered more common. There are people who are born with some challenges in their uh, genitalia or how they express their sex. Those are extremely rare, but they do happen. And then there's a big cultural phenomenon that says we have to dismantle the family. We have to get rid of the traditional quote unquote definitions of sex and gender and replace them with something that's more uh, abstract. But when you try to stick to your guns with regard to biblical creation and biblical Christianity, what do you find in return? You find a conference like this nonsense happening in Canada basically saying, okay, we're going to do 30 uh, different seminars, but that one there where you're telling us that if you do a dig and you come across some remains, that we have to consider what that child, what that person was like at their birth, because those demographics will tell us about what the people will be gender-wise later in life. So therein lies the rub. And welcome to Progressive Christianity 101. The progressive response then would not be to look at the truth. Can you imagine how many people of the progressive side might actually have a um, uh, might actually have a uh, uh, a change of heart if for some reason they saw the truth about what happens here. And yet the only way the LGBTQ narrative appears to be able to sustain itself is by perpetuating the myth and the lie that is being perpetuated by the LGBTQ community. I'll put this link up at thebottomlineshow.com. I hope you'll take a look at the article about the cancellation and really pray for people who are wrestling with gender dysphoria, but also for people who are using it as a cudgel to try to knock the biblical worldview out of the hearts and minds of people who are Bible-believing Christians or people who have not made a decision for Christ yet. The good news is the good news and that free gift of salvation is available for everyone who will believe it and receive it. That's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider's up next. Uh, For those who remain on the network, this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Coming up next as the bottom line continues.